Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. episode, How We Talk About Art, has a part two coming soon. Our guest, Ellen Alt, PAS artist in residence, will share practical tips for teaching about Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day, in a creative way. So be on the lookout for that. You definitely won't miss it if you subscribe now to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast channel. How We Talk About is a professional development podcast for educators who are teaching Jewish things in Jewish schools. We are your hosts, Jen Stern-Granowitz and Aaron Beezer, Jewish educators from New York City. A comment I received a lot from parents when I first started working in Jewish education is something to the effect of, why is my child doing so much coloring? Now, I'm not sure kids were actually doing too much coloring, but the problem was the perception that they were just spending time coloring in place of time, they should have been doing quote unquote, real learning. Because you can't be doing art and really learning at the same time. Those two experiences are mutually exclusive. Is that what you're saying? That's what I think parents were saying, yes. And so we've worked hard at, in the Congregational School of Park Avenue Synagogue to make sure that the projects that go home go with explanation so parents can understand the learning that was connected to the art. So you're saying it was really a PR problem, like art is real learning, but the way that kids talk about their art doesn't make it sound like they really learned something? So yes, definitely. I think there is art in my in our program and in all education institutions that are real learning. Um, but right, there was definitely a PR problem and working you know, with the Congregational School team, especially our artists in residence, Ellen Alt, I think we've worked really hard on integrating the right art projects into the Judaics curriculum. So they go hand in hand, the art goes hand in hand with the learning. I wanna say I've been extremely grateful to work with an artist in residence and to have a partner like that who can enhance our program. So for me, I hate when things go in the garbage at the end of class. My goal is to help the kids make something that everybody in the room cares about. So that, you know, something that costs maybe more money or requires more skill. But I feel like if you're going to do something that involves art, you need to do it well. Right? You need to do it well. So that's what brings us to our conversation this evening. And bringing on an expert, an artist, and an educator, my friend, my colleague, Sarah Krieger-Damlin, who currently serves as director of the Bee Mitzvah Journey Program at Temple Beth Shalom in Needham, Massachusetts, Sarah, another time you're going to tell us about how awesome it is to be the director of the Bee Mitzvah program. That sounds amazing. Uh, but Sarah, you and I met years ago when we were both teaching at the LaFell School, and you hold a master's degree in museum education and a double undergraduate degree in English literature and sculpture. So integrating the arts into education is literally what I have seen you do uh, when we were working together at LaFell and what I know you to be um, capable of as an educator at your core. And so we're really happy to have you here this evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you. 
why is it important to integrate art into Jewish education at all? Do we need it? What's it doing there? If you could remove even the word Jewish from that sentence, it would be the same. I would give you the same answer. Why is it important to integrate art into education? Why is it important to have an artistic avenue as an option in any kind of exploration? There are many different ways that people learn and that each person learns best in a particular way. So some examples of this would be someone saying, I'm a visual learner, so I just need to see this. Someone's maybe a kinesthetic learner. They learn through physical movement and activity and engagement. And so some some educators see that with certain students, that if they're moving while they're learning, they're going to hold their knowledge better. So it's not necessarily that they can only learn through that one particular avenue. It's that by engaging that avenue, that particular learner will be more successful. It's about looking at how do we provide opportunities for kids who have all different strengths and skills and interests to engage in the work that we're doing, because ultimately I really feel strongly that they will learn and remember best when those opportunities have been provided for them. For educators who are looking to bring more art into the classroom, help us understand, what kinds of projects should we go for? And the distinction between craft and art. So for example, handprint menorah. So share your wisdom with us, Sarah. Sure. So craft is typically something that's a little more prepared in terms of what materials are available and how much students actually need to do to manipulate those materials in order to make the end product. And also typically a craft that's done in the classroom ends up looking pretty similar across the board. Most kids will end up with something pretty close to what their classmates made. There's not a lot of room when you've prepared a craft for a class for kids to do individual interpretation or for unique styles to become clear and evident in the product. So when you talk about what am I going to plan for my classroom, what kind of work do I want them to be doing, I think one of the questions you have to think about is what do I want the product to look like and what's the goal of that product? That sometimes it's worth investing more in either materials or process so that the product can really feel more valuable, right, and not go in the trash at the end of the day. So one of the questions I always would ask is, what should that look like? What are my parameters as an educator for success at the end of this work? So if it's important to me as an educator that every single kid go home with a blue handprint menorah with flames on the top that are all yellow fingerprints, then I would say, why? Why is that the goal that I'm seeking? What is valuable in the learning for the students of doing that particular craft? And I call that a craft because it's very limited in materials It's very unilateral in terms of its direction. There's no room in that for interpretation on the part of the student. How can I make that process and that experience more open-ended for my kids so that it becomes a more artistic exploration? Does it really matter, for example, that the handprints are blue? Do I really care what color the menorah is? Just because blue and white are colors of the Israeli flag doesn't mean (laughs) that everything that we make in Jewish learning, every art that we engage with should be those colors. So inherently, you're putting limitation on the choices that the students are making by deciding that for them in advance. Use your fingers in any way you want, but you should make this number of marks. And then you're asking your kids to engage in a different kind of learning. You're deepening their understanding of the concept through the art. The art is not like a stamp that's kind of put on it quick and easy. It really has more to do with ingraining the learning. 
and you're using the art as a tool to help the kids get there. And so it becomes something that you can use to help develop skills that are beneficial in all areas of their learning. You want them to become investigators. You want them to be able to articulate their thinking. You want them to be able to be good decision makers and to explain to someone else why their decision and what they made was valid and supports and shows their learning. And so why not let the kids express themselves personally and choose their own preferences and give them more choices? And then they're navigating and learning a different set of skills. My follow-up question, it might come out as a question, it might come out as a statement, is sort of the piece about ritual objects. Because I'm with you on wanting to give kids agency and that it deepens their learning by them to be able to connect what they're learning to the art as opposed to being told, make it this way. But ritual objects, we do want it to look a certain way. Like if you're going to make a kiddish cup, it does need to hold liquid at the end, right? Or like certain objects do need to look a certain way. So how do you balance the art and craft when thinking about ritual, creating ritual objects? So again, I think it comes down to deciding what are those non-negotiables and how can I communicate those pieces to my kids and then let them choose some other things that are going to be part of this project. So for example, the kiddish cup, right, it's functional. It has to do a certain job. And so looking at examples of kiddish cups throughout history, having kids come to their own conclusions about what they all have in common and why, and then they can really understand that the one that they make has to check that same box because it has to fulfill that same job. And then beyond that, the rest is sort of up for grabs. What kinds of materials are being used? What kinds of colors? How big and how small and how decorative, how simple, how modern? There are all different kinds of things that that we can look at. So I always like to start by looking at some, do a little art history almost with those objects. Let's look at them and come to a conclusion as a class about what are the things that this object has to have in order to do its job in this ritual. Whether they end up getting there all looking the same is irrelevant. It doesn't need to be a step-by-step, okay, today we're going to make the top part of the kiddush cup and everyone is going to pinch the clay in this exact way. That doesn't allow for kids to really learn and push and stretch the materials to really challenge their own ability to, to make with their hands, kind of push the bounds of what can be made. I try not to limit what a kid might create by setting too many standards of how they should do it. Because the most creative artists and craftspeople among us are people who really discovered things and changed the way that we were using materials, changed the way that we saw these objects, and decided, you know what, why can't it look like this? There's no real reason. A kiddush cup doesn't have to have a stem, for example. Most of them do. doesn't necessarily have to. What would happen if it was a cup shape and it was attached to the back of an animal? I don't know. Let's see if we can make one. Does it still do the job? Can it still fulfill its purpose as a ritual object? And if so, then the sky's the limit. You can make whatever you want. I'm the kind of educator who really values the autonomy and the creativity as a learner. I don't like being told what to do. I like having things super open-ended. I have a preference towards those kinds of projects and I go towards that that way of setting things up for those particular learners. And so what I'm thinking about are educators who have their own blind spots about how to set up the right project to be sensitive to the diversity, the multiple intelligences for those of us in the room who don't, you know, connect with art. How do we set up those learners for success and what's the right scaffolding there for those particular types of learners? 
I think in some way, Erin, I would answer that question the same way I would ask a math teacher who's struggling to support a student who can't remember their times tables, how are you going to help that kid build confidence and learn the skills that they need to learn? It doesn't seem that different to me. It's just a question of medium. So when you're looking at a student who doesn't feel like they're, quote, good at art, a sentence which I push back against every time I come across it, there, there will be students like that in our classrooms because that's culturally something that kids have learned to say. It's something that, that we've taught them to say because we haven't created, I think, culturally as a society, enough opportunities to value and learn the exploration, to really value the experience of working with different materials and of trying and failing and understanding that that's actually totally fine. And I would say, okay, this is making you feel a little uncomfortable. Can you explain to me why? Oh, you feel uncomfortable because you don't feel confident drawing straight lines and you feel like you really want to draw straight lines in order to make the thing that you're making. Oh, what if we used a straight edge? Would that help? Would that make you feel more confident in drawing the line that you're imagining, right? So it's about having direct conversations that give kids small goals step-by-step and working with particular materials to move themselves forward in a way that builds their confidence and their problem-solving skills. Not to hide behind this quick excuse of like, I'm not good at art, I can't draw. We're asking them to express themselves in a thoughtful way and to put their effort into it so they feel proud of the product and hopefully gain some skills and confidence along the way. That would be, I think, the direction to go. I'm going to ask you a follow-up to that, because I just thought of a kid that's sitting in the classroom that's like, I'm done, but, like, you're not done. There's, like, nothing on your paper. You're not done. So, Sarah, give me a couple of things to say to the kid that's, I'm done. Yeah, you're done. Sometimes that kid, most of the time that kid, is also the kid who either doesn't like, quote unquote, doesn't like art, or doesn't think they can do it. So what are the holes? What are the things that I can directly ask the student to address and to incorporate? So for example, wow, okay, I see that you feel like you've completed this drawing. When I look at it, It looks to me like you haven't paid any attention to this part of the paper. I see a really big section that's blank. So I'm going to ask you to spend the next couple of minutes at the very least looking at that section and thinking about whether there's something you could add so that that part of the paper feels like more part of your work. The student can sit for three minutes and not do anything. That's fine. I'm not going to force them to add to their drawing, but I certainly can tell them that based on what I'm observing in their work, it looks incomplete. The same way that I would say your sentence is missing a verb, or wow, it looks really interesting. I can only see two colors, and I'm curious what would happen if you pushed yourself and tried to use three or four. If you had to choose another color, what would it be? Okay, now that you've selected that color, where would you put it? How would you use it? Do you notice a difference now that you've added it? Does it add contrast? Does it make your piece feel more interesting, more compelling? If you picked a fourth color, what direction would you go in? So again, it's not saying to them, this isn't done, you worked on it for five minutes, go back. It's helping and coaching them to understand why it doesn't look done and giving them ideas of how they could expand it without telling them what to add. I also understand that there's a little bit of research around praise and what not to say when you actually really like a child's piece of art and you want to say to them, hey, that's good, it's beautiful, it's so good, I love it. What's wrong with saying that? Part of the problem with saying that is that you're building the sense of value 
in relation to yourself as the educator. You're not building a sense of value inherent to the child themselves and the work that they're seeing in front of them that they have created. And what happens tomorrow when they're not with you and they draw something? If they're waiting for you to say that it's beautiful and that you love it and you're not there, they're not going to get that reinforcement necessarily or they won't feel confident because it's rooted entirely on how you see it. So try to shift the language back to the child. Either say, wow, I can see you worked really hard on this. How do you feel? It's not even about the product anymore. It's about the feeling that a child has in looking at this work. Maybe it's the feeling that they have in knowing that they pushed themselves to use four colors instead of two. From Compared to last week and this week, that you added a lot more detail today. Did you notice that when you were working? And to help the kids by articulating yourself what growth you see, which will help them understand that they've actually made that growth. So if we're asking kids to know by themselves that when I think your, th- your piece is beautiful, it's actually because you used five colors, you incorporated the whole page, you have so many details. If I don't tell them those are the reasons that I think their piece is successful, how can they possibly learn that those are things they should strive to do in future work? It's not about making you feel good in the, in this moment. I want you to understand why I see success in front of you, why I can see that you are deserving of praise. So as opposed to just giving you praise, which feels good for a second and then they walk out the door and it doesn't translate, what I want to do is use my language to help them understand why their work themselves as the student, their work, not just the thing on the paper, is worthy of the praise. And as they build a confidence and understanding that the skills lie within them, yes, the work becomes an outward expression of that. And sometimes we see that and we think it's beautiful. And it may well be beautiful, but beauty is such a subjective thing. My saying it's beautiful to one student becomes dismissive of the student sitting next to them who's struggling to get the product to look the way they imagine it in their heads and who doesn't feel successful because the thing on their paper doesn't look the way they think something beautiful should look. But if that student worked hard and concentrated and pushed themselves and added 10 more details the same way that they just heard me complimenting the student sitting next to them, they have the same value. They feel the same worth. So Our program is fully remote right now, and I've seen some really engaging and interesting and thoughtful ways teachers are using art. And of course, it's so different than being in person. And I'd love to hear some of your suggestions for the Zoom classroom when it comes to art. It is really interesting right now to think about how do we do this kind of work with students when they're not physically present with us. One question I would always ask is what materials are available to my kids? Right? I know that there are some learning programs that are sending home supplies, that are having families pick up materials so that everyone has the same thing. That's one way to go. So you know that they're all starting with access to the same resources. But if that's not the case, then I think it's worth starting with a little investigation, sending home a survey, asking kids to let you know what materials you have available to you. And also I would ask parents to be involved in that to find out what materials are you comfortable with having your child use when they're at home. It's really hard because I think as educators, we forget sometimes 
that the kids who are remote are in a space that we're not familiar with. And maybe the only computer that they're using is in a, a more formal space. And there's a couch right next to the desk made of some material that's really hard to clean. So even though I might send home all of the supplies, they might not be supplies that the parents or the adults in that household feel comfortable with their kids using. You've got to modify the materials you're planning to use to be mindful of space at home. And then going from there and trying to figure out what's the goal of this work. We're going to ask you now that you leave us and our listeners with a reflection question that will deepen our learning from our conversation today. So Sarah, do you have that question? So the question that I want everyone to think about is how can I use art experiences in my classroom to push kids to develop their own sense of confidence and self-worth in other things that they do? Something I'm taking away from this conversation is the connection you just made at the end about the like socio-emotional elements that go with this and the sort of the sense of the value in the child and building their confidence. Because I, I see the value in art and education and I see how it deepens children's learning. Like that to me, um, I was sold on a long time ago, but the way you sort of phrased like your beautiful questions of how to like engage children, whether they're stuck or whether they're deep in the, the art and the, the project is sort of a good reminder of the, not just how art deepens the learning, but that if there's the whole, there's a whole other skill set that we can tap into through the arts. So thank you. There's just nothing quite like art. It really is so good for that, for encouraging the skill building capacity of imagination, which leads to empathy, which is all about perspective and really core skills that this world is in such great need of and just so simply lies with art. We want to hear from you. If you are planning a lesson or there's something that's on your mind, tell us about it. We want this podcast to be useful to you, our fellow educators. Be sure to subscribe to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast channel to download and listen to future episodes of How We Talk About. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in Shul.